All right, so good afternoon, everyone. Uh, first, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. I think uh, the topic that we're going to talk about is very relevant to everyone in this room, plus the generations behind us. So definitely looking forward to having a discussion. My name is Donna Bell. I'm the Executive Vice President of Product Creation, Engineering, and Supply Chain at Lordstown Motors. And I will introduce our panel. <laughs> uh, our, I'll introduce our panel uh, later. So uh, the name of our seminar, if we can go to the next slide. Yes, there we go. A true commitment to sustainability, the emergence of the circular economy. So definitely a topic that we want to discuss because we want to sustain our environment. Uh, so definitely look forward to having a discussion there. All right, so I wanted to introduce our se uh, session panelists. And uh, so Tina Terrell cannot make it today, but uh, Tina brings a wealth of knowledge in the forestry industry. And uh, we definitely look forward to having her here, but she couldn't be at two places at one time. So uh, Andre and I agreed that we would have a nice intimate conversation yeah. about sustainability. And so this is uh, Andre Welch. Andre is a director of federal affairs at Ford Motor Company uh, in the Washington, Washington DC area. He, in his role, he's responsible for advocating Ford's position on federal legislative and regulatory matters related to the connected, automated, and electric vehicle transition. So you can see that there's a lot of opportunity to learn about electrification and sustainability from Andre's role. In his 25-year history with the company, he has held various positions related to vehicle emissions, testing, and compliance, sustainability strategy and planning, and regulatory affairs for vehicle emissions and safety topics. He graduated from Michigan State University with a Bachelor of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering and earned a Master's of Mechanical Engineering degree from University of Detroit Mercy. So I'll, I'll pause for the clap. Maybe you didn't hear <laughs> Michigan State. All right, go green, go white. That's um, right, yeah. that's right. There were no boos, so that's a, that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, that's always good. That's a good that's thing. That's always good. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our session. All right, so I already gave you um, the topic for today. And uh, the learning objective for today uh, is to understand the measurable value of circular innovation. So this space is very uh, open to innovation. There is a lot of opportunity when it comes to the circular economy as well as sustainability. So we'll definitely talk about those elements and to advocate for adopting circular sustainability in manufacturing, product development, and the global supply chain ecosystem. Um, and we'll get into those details. So after this seminar, uh, you'll be able to understand the strategy and value of the circular economy and innovations, its positive impact on our planet and well-being, very important for uh, those that come behind us want to make sure that we have uh, resources to uh, ensure that they have a sustainable life as well. So identify the values and benefits of innovative recycling and remanufacturing goods and products, identifying the best practice approaches towards developing an uh, organization-wide uh, circular strategy and culture, 
and then understand how sustainability can be implemented into the core design and development process to produce measurable green outcomes. Uh, with that, I do want to open up the floor for Andre if you want to give any more back uh, history or background on yourself and uh, how you got to your current position. Yeah, um, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, really good to see you all, really good to be here. Um, I, I know it's after lunch, so we'll try to you know, speak with some energy, keep it uh, live, and um, thanks all for joining. And uh, we are a, a small group here, so if people want to move toward the front, kind of like church, um, it, it's okay, we don't bite. Um, we'll, we'll keep it pretty intimate. Um, so, uh, so like Donna said, um, I've been with Ford for 25 years. Uh, it, 20 of that is, has been really focused on su sustainability, whether it's been on a vehicle emission side or vehicle safety side, um, it's been all about emissions and safety, testing, compliance, regulatory affairs. I'm out in the DC area now, still focused on emissions and safety. And, and while I, uh, within that 25 years, I spent a couple of years in the office of our uh, chief sustainability officer. And there I got a chance to do a lot of strategy and planning, uh, help implement our uh, sustainability operating system, and uh, we'll be happy to, to talk about any of those aspects. All right, so why don't we move right into talking about the circular economy. So uh, what I wanted to do is share with you both the circular economy as well as Industry 4.0. So many of you know it as uh, I4.0 or 4.0 and uh, talk about the integration of those two. So how those, the two um, efforts will work together in advancing uh, sustainability within our world. It's not just within a certain organization, but it's every single sector and industry uh, should definitely be considering this. So um, when we think about the circular economy, it's been described as an ecosystem of global innovation formulated to advance our capabilities of converting waste and natural resources into sustainable ecosystems to offer an alternative to traditional take, make, dispose anywhere environmental practices by advocating for innovative waste and resource recycling and remanufacturing to reduce waste, cost and environment impacts to our planet. So uh, when you think about the uh, circular economy, these are the four elements that um, I really wanted to call out that um, it impacts traditional, the take, make, dispose economies. So we wanna buy things and we just wanna throw them, uh, throw them away. How do we take what we purchase and reuse it in other uh, industries and other aspects so that we aren't wasting money. And then the circular economy model has the potential to trigger the far-reaching uh, far change. So when we think about recycling and leveraging uh, raw materials that have already been used for other, um, for other purposes, that can help sustain uh, for our children and generations to come. And the circular economy model could uh, treat waste as a design flaw. So as engineers are thinking about how to design their products, they think about the waste and how that can be used. I know in one of my courses uh, uh, with my PhD, 
uh, we talked about concept to launch and then launch to sustainability because that's such an important piece. And as we'll talk about electric vehicles and electrification, we have to be mindful of what's going to happen with these batteries. So these batteries have rare earth minerals in them. How do we take those and use those for further on down uh, their development pipeline? So uh, definitely have to consider those. And then ultimately, it offers an opportunity to rethink, redesign, and reconceptualize economies to better address human needs and make more efficient use of natural resources. So it's really about being mindful, being mindful of how we leverage raw materials and how we, we, we can reuse so they don't end up in landfills. They can actually be used for uh, other things to come. And I think Andre will talk about how Ford has been able to incorporate uh, reusing and recycling uh, in their products. Yeah, um, so just to jump in, so I have a very simple mind. So I don't, you know, use all the, all the detailed words. I'm gonna tell you, when I think about circular economy, to me, it's about zero emissions and zero waste. Um, I view it more as a journey, not a goal, meaning there's a lot of talk when you think about sustainability, about how we bring down um, greenhouse gas emissions, um, the uh, one and a half or two degree glide path, um, but beyond electric vehicles and bringing down emissions, we also have a challenge with consumption. There's only so many uh, minerals and natural resources in the earth. Even if we put out all electric vehicles and got emissions down to zero because we got a clean grid and all those great things, if we're not smart about how we use our resources, then we still have a challenge in front of us. So circular economy is about how do we not just develop a, a product and let those minerals go to waste, go to landfill. How do we think about once they're done, can we provide a second use? Definitely can we try to recycle, but ahead of recycling, is there a reuse, remanufacturing option? So circularity is it's like the ideal vision where there's no emissions um, and no waste, and we continually try to get closer and closer to that. Um, right now at Ford, we've got a carbon neutrality goal. Definitely electrification is a big part of that and, and happy to talk more about it. Um, we have targets around using renewable and recycled materials. Um, that's a key part, how we manage waste. And we're looking into uh, doing more and more with recycling, especially as we talk about electrification and electric vehicles. Um, and we can talk, talk more about that for sure. All right, awesome. Um, so I, I do want to involve the audience in uh, helping to uh, you know, talk through some of the um, innovations that you've seen in your own industry. If anyone wants to share how they've been able to consider the circular economy, um, we'd love to hear those stories or ideas. You can just raise your hand or you can stand up or just speak up. Hi there, uh, my name is Bailey Garfield. Okay. Um, I'm a senior at the University of the District of Columbia studying electrical engineering. Um, and I'm doing research on perovskite solar cells, helping to develop um, solar cells that are um, more sustainable, made from, not made from rare earth minerals and rather made from more abundant resources. Um, 
one of the great paradoxes of sustainability, particularly when it comes to electric, electric vehicles and solar panels is the energy they produce is clean, but the materials that go into making them are toxic, don't degrade naturally in the earth, and are often, you know, coming from African countries where the mining conditions are quite poor and the environmental impact of the mining is quite large. So um, moving toward research and trying to find um, materials to develop these electric batteries and solar, uh, solar cells that are not so deleterious for the environment mm -hmm. is an important step that we're taking. Um, and definitely a movement into the circular economy because you don't have to spend as much time worrying about disposal when you don't have toxic chemicals that's and minerals in the devices to begin with. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's uh, definitely one of the major, major benefits. Any other examples? Thank you for that. Yeah. I'm going to try some of the old stuff that I learned from years ago. My name is Rita. And uh, as a... Uh, early engineering manager with the North Carolina State Energy Office. I had two projects that demonstrated sustainability and kind of what um, you were talking about. Uh, we had uh, Lagoon, which you, anybody know about hogs in North Carolina? We, we're up there uh, with Iowa uh, in terms of the number of hogs okay. uh, that we have in our state. And so we had a project where we covered the lagoon uh, and captured the methane. And then that methane was uh, then piped over to, I don't know what they call, whatever baby pigs are called, uh, how they kept the baby pigs warm when they were born. And then the exhaust from that generator that converted that methane gas was then piped over to a greenhouse uh, that grew tomatoes. Wow. Then I had another project that I was over. It was up in the mountains. In the mountains of North Carolina have a lot of artists. And uh, there was a landfill where we captured that methane gas and piped it over into the kiln uh, in order to uh, power the kiln so that the artists could do their work. So I've uh, been in this space for a while and just so happy to know that, that we're still in the vineyard mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm pleased to be here, a part of this topic. All right, fantastic, thank you. Fantastic. I, I think those are great examples, and I'm sure that there are plenty others. Definitely, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for a lot of innovation. I know uh, uh, Andre and I are both in the automotive industry, but there are so many other industries that are leveraging uh, the circular economy um, and even taking elements from outside of automotive and bring those into sure. uh, vehicles as well so and into other spaces so definitely a great opportunity yeah so um before we move on mm -hmm. sure appreciate uh both of those uh comments that were made uh and the insights that were shared um was it bailey um to your point on where are these minerals coming from conflict minerals and and kind of the social implications. I, I think that's a really fair point, and uh, I'm glad that you raised it. Part of our focus is as we develop our supply chain um, that we have transparency, traceability into where the minerals coming from. We have um, standards that we're setting and doing auditing to make sure that the minerals that are going into our vehicles aren't, um, that the people are treated fairly um, 
uh, where, where we're sourcing our minerals from. So that's an important part of it. Definitely is a risk. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you raised it because as we make this transition, we have to make sure it's just and understand the implications of the decisions that are being made. Um, and it was Rita, yeah. So love the innovation that you shared. Um, it's gonna be important that we continue to have those types of innovations. Um, at Ford, we're focused on electrifying our vehicles, um, uh, zero emissions in our plants. You know, these are aspirations. So we need cleaner ways to, to source electricity um, that can be uh, on par with existing sources. So there's not a green penalty as you try to um, implement these new, uh, these new technologies. So that type of innovation is exactly, exactly what we need. So thanks for sharing that. Now, Andre, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how uh, Ford has really been, you know, forward thinking relative to re uh, recycling other materials into the, the development and design of their vehicles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't think I have a slide on this, so we'll, we'll just talk about it. Um, so at least, for, you know, for over a dec decade, uh, back in 2007, there's been a lot of research around uh, using renewable uh, materials uh, in our vehicles. Um, definitely uh, the plastics that we use, we're using recycled and renewable um, materials to make those plastics. Uh, we've got a design target of 20% of um, at a minimum and we're trying to grow that. Um, but beyond that, uh, uh, we were a first to use uh, renewable materials like soy foam, um, you know, coffee uh, chaffs and uh, uh, different wheat parts um, in our vehicles for um, fan components, uh, the hull and different uh, parts in our vehicle. Um, and so that's, all, that's always been, you know, a mission. Again, our goal is to get to um, 100 uh, percent recycled and renewable materials in our plastics. Uh, and then uh, to grow the amount of uh, recycled materials that we use in our in our uh, initial parts. Again, recognizing that if we're going to continue to grow, we have to manage our consumption. All right, fantastic. Thank you, Andre, for that. So uh, as we think about uh, the nine pillars of Industry 4.0 4 or uh, Industry 4.0, it's really considering um, being able to do things digitally and so that we don't have to create physical products. I know early stages of my career, there were times when we would build multiple prototype vehicles and there was nothing we can do with those products. So we could leverage them for testing and, and the like, but they weren't put into the economy uh, to grow the economy. And so now when you think about Industry 4.0, it's really about leveraging the digital space. Um, I had an opportunity to attend the uh, Bea Metaverse Symposium last week where they were talking about how you create these virtual environments. And it's a big deal. It is a really big deal that companies are starting to leverage virtual 
over physical, the physical design of infrastructure and products so that customers can experience them virtually and provide direction on where the final product should go. So that in itself reduced quite a bit of waste. So when we think about the nine pillars of Industry 4.0, uh, we have big data and analytics, and I think most companies are dealing with big data right now. We talk about data lakes and how we take the data and really understand it and where it's heading um, so that we can understand it and try to design things for customers as they need them as opposed to uh, creating things and hoping that people will come. And I think that's very important. Autonomous robots, so leveraging um, intelligence, artificial intelligence, and really uh, building out designs uh, and thinking about <clears throat> uh, opportunities where we don't have to do rework. <clears throat> so what goes in, you know, if it goes in well, then you'll have a great output. And so autonomous robots can definitely help with that. Uh, taken away from uh, any type of hurt or harm to humans and having them uh, actually do that work. Uh, simulation, so this is where the metaverse actually fits in. So being able to simulate uh, the building of a vehicle. I know when I was you know, in my early career as well, um, there was an entire digital uh, manufacturing facility where it showed the ergonomics of how um, the employees were building the vehicle and where there will be pain points and where things had to be improved or the design had to change to ensure that the vehicle can be manufactured. So definitely still an opportunity for growing, and I think a lot of companies are taking advantage of that. The uh, horizontal and vertical system integration, just really thinking about bringing everything together. Um, industrial inter Internet of Things, Everything communicating to everything else. So from people to things to infrastructure, just making sure that that uh, communication and that language is consistent so that, um, so that uh, it's an easier integration of all parts into, um, into industry. Cybersecurity is very important. So as digital elements are built, there's always uh, some uh, someone or some things out there lurking to figure out how to get in and invade and to cause harm. So how do we build cybersecurity so that uh, it can eliminate a lot of the waste that comes along with uh, what you know these outside forces are trying to do to um, our system? So um, lots of uh, work in that space. And then the cloud. So, you know, we think about data and the transfer, transference of data and servers talking to each other. Um, how do we make sure that we have a strong cloud infrastructure? And cybersecurity is definitely important for that. Um, additive manufacturing. There's a lot of <clears throat> investment put into um, uh, building parts. So there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of waste. Uh, and so how do we leverage building a part at a time in order to reduce the waste that comes along with uh, a lot of 
the presses and things like that that build vehicles and parts and vehicles or any other type of solution. And then, um, and then from an additive manufacturing perspective, again, I'm talking from an automotive perspective, but there are so many other use cases for additive manufacturing uh, relative to food, relative to clothing. Uh, so there's a, a lot of uh, opportunities for that. And then augmented reality. So when you think about, um, uh, so I'll, I'll talk about service uh, in particular. And so you can send a service technician uh, instructions on how to fix a product. But if you can augment what what that person is doing and making sure that they pick the right tools and they do the right processes and they're picking the right data in order to complete their tasks, you have cut out a lot of waste. And so these are opportunities for us to leverage augmented reality. So with that, uh, Andre, I don't know if you have uh, anything particular you wanted to add to that. Yeah, not much, much to add to that, just to acknowledge that like the industry is kind of in the midst of, of this change. Um, the autos are in, in transition, not an evolution, more of a, a revolution focused on bringing in electrification. Um, that's bringing in a lot of opportunities. You're seeing um, announcements for battery plants being built. So Ford, um, we've got uh, two battery plants that we're building um, in Kentucky and uh, uh, also plants in Tennessee, which provides us opportunities to leverage some of these new technologies to make sure that the work is done in the most efficient way. We've got a commitment to clean manufacturing, so a focus on um, reducing uh, the, the energy use that we have in our plants, the amount of uh, water that uh, is used. Uh, so we've got a commitment that there will be zero fresh water uh, used in our uh, new battery plants. Um, only fresh water will be used for human consumption. Um, so yes, the workers get to drink, um, <laughs> um, but not for our operation. So um, yeah, for those think about working at Fort, we do allow you to drink um, water, <laughs> water. Um, and, but with this transition is bringing about new partnerships. So we announced um, like a partnership with Redwood to look at ways to recycle. So again, there's a lot of transition, uh, a lot of change in leveraging these tools, uh, connected data, simulations, et cetera, will allow us to be more efficient uh, and get to these uh, carbon neutrality uh, goals uh, that much faster. Awesome. So uh, one of the important parts of Industry 4.0 is really about the, the, the leveraging of real-time data. So when you think about the supply chain and you think about the ripple effect of how a change could impact everything downstream to your Tier 3, Tier 4, Tier 5 suppliers, if everyone had the same data and it was all real-time, everyone can make their tweaks a lot faster. And that is the importance of Industry 4.0, is really being able to leverage that real-time data so that you can eliminate uh, the waste involved with those uh, trickle-down effects of making changes earlier on in the process. Um, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to open this up 
to the audience again and get some uh, information or ideas on how you've been able to leverage data in, uh, in your own industry and in your own environment to help uh, advance the efforts of Industry 4.0. Howard Gordis, U.S. Army. I work with the IT infrastructure, and one of the things we had a model was the, um, the energy requirements, the data center, and the amount of computing power in the, in the, um, in the workspace, as well as the data center. So we had to tweak our designs to actually use lower density products. And that's also, they also start the modeling, the five to seven year plan outlay in terms of energy density with a lot of more of this increased data density. Mm -hmm. There's a corresponding increase in energy density as well. Mm -hmm. So behoove us even across different industries how do you manage energy uses of the devices, as well as how do you manage local energy density because impact on, on the grid? Absolutely, absolutely. No, that's a, that's definitely a great point. That uh, the more information that gets transferred, the more energy that's used, uh, more cooling is required. So now you're using even more energy to move data back and forth. So uh, definitely improving the energy energy density is extremely important. Other examples? Hi, I'm Lavasi Artelis. I don't really have an example, but I just want to say that I know these two individuals on the stage. <laughs> this is a real pleasure for all of you to listen to the wisdom that is coming from both Andre and Donna. Um, my comment was, um, I was looking at Bloomberg this morning, and they were talking about blockchain and how blockchain can be used as a technology that can help us to track uh, where parts that come in, um, from what we're designing are, are coming from to make sure that we're having a sustainable mindset. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about these nine pillars of Industry 4.0 and where blockchain may fit into that. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it fits into the in industrial Internet of Things, but I'm wondering if there's any comments on how we may use blockchain uh, from our, for our sustainability efforts. I'll let you start. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, the, uh, you know what? It's uh, when you think about traceability of any product, uh, knowing where the parts came from, knowing where the raw material came from, but in the circular economy, knowing where the parts actually came from and the material came from is uh, extremely important to the downstream uh, usage of any product, um, you know, from a vehicle perspective, uh, just knowing where, um, in the case of electric vehicles, the raw material may have come from for uh, batteries and the cells that go into those batteries and where the batteries were manufactured and where they were delivered uh, and where they ended up at the end. Uh, we are required to include traceability requirements for every single part. Blockchain can help with that. Blockchain can definitely be the di digital source for making the connection of where every single piece of a combined part, uh, where it goes, where it ends up, um, and how it can be used later. So uh, it's definitely an opportunity uh, for that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's about reducing waste, um, knowing exactly where things came from and where they are, um, you know, real-time delivery, um, that, that's kind of where my head goes with it. So great opportunity, but yeah, it's about reducing waste. Yeah. And the government is putting requirements on traceability. And so it is very important from a tracking perspective, um, but blockchain um, 
having that uh, encryption essentially of the parts and where they, you know, where they came from um, and making those connections is going to be important for us as we think about sustainability. Uh, and I, you know, I can see how we might be able to leverage that in other industries where they be able to see, hey, look, we've got some, you know, some material that's out there that's coming from the automotive industry. We can leverage that material and use it in our processes and our products. Yeah. So I can see where that that's an opportunity as well, uh, and vice versa. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Talos. Thanks for putting on this session. This yeah, is awesome. No, no, your question has to be easier than Telus's. That's just so you know. I'm, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I've been working in this field for a while, fuel cells, biofuels, etc. Okay. And I'm really excited about you know things getting heated up again for this and the, and the success of the electric vehicle. Mm -hmm. But, and I just looked it up to make sure again before I came up to the microphone, I read that only 27% of the greenhouse gases are produced by transportation. And as you know, most industrial processes are thermal and probably powered by natural gas or coal. So I'm not here to, I want to know what, where's the buzz, where's the great up, who's doing what mm -hmm. that uh, the young people here can go get involved in where we're going to transform the other part of the economy, that's the industrial part of the economy, and electrify that with sustainable energy. And I don't even know what the sustainable solution is. Is it nuclear? Is it, is it, uh, is it uh, solar? And how are we going to do that? So where are the opportunities? Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> GHG emissions from transportation, the latest data I've seen accounts for roughly 65% of emissions, it's a it's a fairly significant number, um, and and so when you look at it from a wells to wheels perspective, um, and and yes, if you if you find different data, please let me know. Um, when you look at it from a well uh, well to wheels perspective, um, there's a significant opportunity. We're focused on again our our scope one, two, and three emissions. Um, so again, you're looking at not just the emissions that comes from um, the uh, extraction of the materials and the producing of the vehicle, um, but the use uh, of these vehicles. So that's why there's so much energy around electrification, um, because you know there's a there's the majority of our emissions, our our emissions are those scope three emissions from the use of our vehicles. Um, from an electrification perspective, again we're looking at um, battery electrics. Uh, but the larger vehicles, definitely, uh, you'll look at other uh, applications like fuel cells, like you mentioned. I haven't seen uh, that much interest in uh, solar at this stage. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's where the opportunity is going to be with, you know, battery electrics and, and fuel cells going forward. Recognizing the challenge that's in front of us is the infrastructure. And there's a lot of energy around that, uh, deploying it, and then making sure that the infrastructure that's uh, been deployed is reliable. So I think there's definitely opportunity to get engaged um, in uh, perfecting that technology and, and helping us uh, grow the deployments and, and support this transition. Uh, something else to add to what Andre was talking about. I was just at uh, Consumer Electronics Show and there were a number of companies that were looking at how uh, you, could, you could take 
the energy from a vehicle and convert that back either to the grid or to your own home for you know from a sustainable um, perspective. Uh, one of the things that I do see as an opportunity is how the batteries from the electric vehicles are going to be used afterwards. So um, I know that you know there are companies out there that have energy storage units where they take their prior use batteries and use them for energy storage um, for other purposes. And I think there's just going to be a lot of thought around how that occurs because uh, what we don't want is for these batteries to end up in any type of um, environment, environmental situation. So making sure that uh, we um, have thought through that is going to uh, definitely be important. Um, I think the, the area that the you know, students can really get engaged in is understanding just how to harness, um, how to harness the energy, um, and then working with energy companies and anyone else that leverages that energy uh, in recycling. Uh, we think about solar, so we were just talking about uh, solar, the solar elements. Uh, we think about wind energy, uh, to your point, natural gas, and how we can leverage natural gas and how that can be used. Um, we've got to think about the infrastructure and how the infrastructure is going to be, uh, be able to support that. And so I think there are a number of opportunities for uh, students um, and early industry um, uh, colleagues to really think about how to harness the entire ecosystem. And, um, and so all those different pieces can really lead to um, a lot of savings um, for both, you know, both the environment as well as for our, our pockets. So um, as we think about being able to use uh, solar and wind. Yep, you triggered a thought. Um, the vehicle to grid, um, there's definitely an opportunity there. There's vehicles now today that can export power um, our F-150 Lightning can uh, export power to your home, power for three days in the case of an outage. But right now, we're not allowed to export power to the grid. I think there's a lot of opportunity to do research, do pilots, to figure out, you know, how do we, like the concern from the utility perspective is, you know, how do I know how much energy is available when? How do we manage that communication? I think there's some research that can be done there to, to help um, address some of those questions and concerns. Um, the batteries, um, we, we need more efficient batteries. So I think there's definitely opportunity for students to do research in battery efficiency. You know, how can, uh, the, you know, there's a lot of talk now about electric vehicles are great, but they're heavier. And so we can find batteries that can be more efficient. You can put less battery on a vehicle and get more mileage. There's definitely research needed on how to get batteries more efficient. Um, yeah, and, and energy density, all, all of that. So, there, you know, it's, it's a really exciting opportunity, this transition that we're in. We're, we're making great progress, but there's still loads to do and, and definitely more research needed. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, so my name is Issa, Issa Sal. I work for the Boeing company. Okay. I'm a business system manager. So my question to you is, um, well, as you know, artificial intelligence is used in uh, finding new drugs, new flavors, among others. So how do you use artificial intelligence to find cleaner materials? Hmm. 
Yeah. That's a that's a good question. I, and I, I I don't have a direct answer for that. But. I don't. I, I would throw it back to you. How do I use that to get cleaner <laughs> materials? Because I definitely need it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't have a great answer. I, I, I will say I've been impressed with the recent developments in uh, artificial intelligence, even the, you know, chat GBT, that type uh, technology and how it can be leveraged to read and search and sort and help us find, you know, greater insights faster. I, I think there's opportunity there um, to help us, you know, review research, uh, I, I assess data to help do some additional scanning. And that's my only guess. But again, that's that's way out of my field. So I, I apologize. Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Catherine. And I graduated from RIT, which is in New York. And I did plan to take engineering as a profession, but I transferred into uh, energy, elect I'm sorry, physics. And so I was, I was in information technology for 23 years, and I'm still doing that right now. I'm working as a government employee, but I've always been really curious. You're talking about natural resources. You're talking about raw materials. What about all the plastic and all the other waste that we have on the earth we're trying to figure out what to do with. So you're talking about green circular energy. We're talking about raw materials. How do we plan to approach all the waste, like the plastic and the different chemicals that are just being left on our planet and in our environment? What do we do? What would you propose is the solution when we're talking about cars and we're talking about batteries and we're talking about is there any way to include those things so that we can clean our environment up? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank, definitely thank you for that question. And <laughs> thank you for that question. And absolutely. So, and, and maybe the message got mixed as we were talking about raw materials because we were talking about the uh, elimination of going to get raw materials. That's what we're doing today. And that is not sustainable. But there is a lot of research, there is a lot of work being done to understand how we can leverage things like plastic bottles or rubber uh, from different sources or waste from metals and being able to use that in other industries or even in the same industry. I know uh, Andre has an example about, yeah, you already talked about how you were able, the uh, Ford was able to leverage um, some material, reuse material into the design of their seats. And I think those things are very important. And I know that companies are looking for ways um, and researching ways of how they can take material that has already been used and reuse it for uh, the next generation of product moving forward. Yeah, I, I love the question. Um, it is definitely... Uh, something that we've been focused on. And, and as I, I mentioned, it is our aspiration that all plastics that we use come from recycled, uh, renewable uh, materials. And so we understand the issue of, you know, the, the waste that we have now and finding ways to reincorporate it in, into the product is, is um, that, that's where we're headed. So excellent question, great point. Yeah, absolutely. So as we, uh, as we think about the intersection of both Industry 4.0 and the circular economy, and I think it gets just at the question uh, that was just asked, uh, this is really an opportunity to, to uh, extract raw material from waste components, that, 
So we want to eliminate that, right? We want to uh, get rid of that and return those elements into the cycle of products moving forward. So we can definitely see a savings, including time, raw materials to the point, and money. I can see an opportunity where um, having that initial investment can be reduced substantially if we find opportunities to reuse products. And then it open up, opens up opportunities and innovation. So this is where the, uh, the work at the university level in conjunction with industry is going to be very important and with government. And I think government is also looking for ways to be more sustainable in driving um, how we can take products that are already there, not having them end up in landfills and taking them and reusing all the parts for something, uh, something greater. So um, definitely still a lot of research that's going on, but I think there are a lot of really good examples that we even heard today that are being uh, leveraged for the combination of both um, industry advancements. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to open it up for Q&A at this point. We, um, <laughs> we are very flexible <laughs> with uh, how we're going to approach this. And uh, we do have some other slides that we might be able to talk to some of the key points. But if you have any questions, please step to the mic. And we'd be um, very happy to answer those questions for you. Hi again. Uh, Bailey Garfield, UDC. Um, so when it comes to discussing sustainability, Across industry, the most obvious conflict is the interest of shareholders in short-term quarterly profits and the long-term investment needed to have true sustainable practices. So my question is, how um, are industries looking toward these sustainable goals and finding ways to break them down into measurable steps such that they can still satisfy their shareholders while also making meaningful progress towards sustainability and you know, having big ideas, but not in like a delusional billionaire son of a Zambian emerald mine owner sort of way. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> okay. No, really, really good question. Very specific. And, yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> I, I, right. I, I think companies are really being um, deliberate about their sustainability goals. So when you think about their ESG, um, if you go to any company's uh, ESG site environmental, social, um, and governance. From a social perspective, there has been a great emphasis put on sustainability and how they're doing that. I'm going to ask Andre to kind of share some of the things that Ford has done because I know that there is a, a complete roadmap for sustainability from Ford. Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll start. I think it's a little different um, or I view it a little different than, than how you phrased it. And I, and I think there was a time where shareholders said, you know, where, you had, where there was a trade-off of sustain sustainability ambition versus shareholder value. I think we're at a stage now where shareholders want um, companies that are focused on preserving the earth. Um, there are funds specifically focused on you know, are you resilient? Are you focused on climate? Um, if not, we won't invest in you. So I think we're at a stage now where um, being green, uh, doing what's right for the environment is, is to, your, to your benefit. Um, at, at Ford, um, sustainability is governed at the highest level. Um, we've, like within our board of 
uh, directors, we have a committee focus on sustainability uh, that is fed uh, by our executive leaders that manage a monthly uh, 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 sustainability management meeting. Uh, sustainable targets are given to every organization. So we have what we call our integrated sustainability management system. So a couple of years ago, well, not a couple of years ago, years ago, sustainability um, was really driven by like people that were extremely passionate about it within the business. And we would annually like sweep up the great work that they did and, and communicate that. Uh, but our view is as we uh, aim to be more ambitious, we, had, we needed a, a better governance system. Uh, sustainability couldn't be managed by the few. It's something that we all had to own and go after. Uh, and so we, we spent months meeting with every organization to help them understand what sustainability meant for their organization. Like it was, it was the initial sit down like, you know, hey, we have recycling bins and, you know, we, we did our part. But understanding, no, here, here, here's what sustainability means and what targets you could do in your business or in your part of the business that could feed up to our overall goals. At this stage, every organization understands what their targets are. There's a monthly cadence of bringing, in, bringing them in to communicate their progress. Um, that's reviewed up through our board of directors and we communicate our progress every year um, in our annual sustainability report. We've been doing that since Thing, the uh, early 1990s. So we were the first auto OEM to do that. So um, it's not something that's happenstance. It's something that you know we govern and we drive, uh, and and that's how uh, we we kind of work to uh, you know achieve these more aggressive goals, um, and 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 deliver the benefits for the earth, but also for the business. Yeah, yeah. no problem. Um, and just something to add from a. From a startup perspective, because we Lordstown is a smaller company, and our our mission is to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles, and that's what we live and breathe. And so, from a sustainability perspective, that's what we're really focused on. Um, really focused on uh, eliminating uh, these greenhouse gases, uh, reducing emissions, but you know, to have a zero emission vehicle. Uh, and have it provided to the commercial fleet space is very important because there are a lot of vehicles in the commercial fleet space. So um, that is our focus. That is our mission. And we're going to continue to drive that. Um, and as we grow, as we grow as a company, definitely in incorporating a lot of the elements that we've discussed today. Hi, again. Hey. So for, for me, there's, a, there's an intersection between what we need as uh, people on the planet and what the industry needs are. But unfortunately, there's politics as well. Um, can you talk, and this is probably more for you, Andre. Sure. Um, can you talk Thank about you, um, <laughs> where uh, are we seeing a change in political views as it relates to sustainability? Uh, have people acknowledged that global warming is real? And where, where are we from a political uh, standpoint on looking at what we need to do from a sustainability standpoint? 
Yeah, I, I think, um, so thank you for the question. I, I think it is important. Um, and I, I think we've come a long way. It's not, uh, I don't think we're at a stage where the majority don't believe in climate change. Uh, there's definitely a different view, but, you know, and I'm talking U.S. politics, not globally. Um, you know, if, depending on what party you're in, um, not on is climate change real, because uh, I think we're beyond that point, but we're at a point of how do you address climate change? Um, whereas, you know, maybe on the, the more democratic side, you're seeing, you know, a focus on renewables, battery electric vehicles, um, a, a really aggressive transition, building out the infrastructure, et cetera, and on the, on the other side of the aisle, the conversation is more of an all of the above approach, mm -hmm. uh, a view that what we used here, like in terms of um, refining and uh, oil, if we get it here, it's gonna be better than if it's uh, oil, et cetera, that comes from other um, maybe developing countries. And so net, net on the whole, the earth benefits. And that's not a view that's shared um, everywhere. So I, I think we've gotten to a place where people understand um, climate change. There is a conservative climate caucus focused on, you know, how do we address climate change? Um, it's, it's just different perspective on how we solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So it's progress. Thank you. What about nuclear? <laughs> As a fiscal conservative, maybe on the right, but a social liberal, you know, and I think many Americans fit that mold. I've been a member of both parties. Don't shoot me. <laughs> what about nuclear? I, I think it's a, a great question. It's, it's a, a clean energy source. Um, it's, it's about managing the... the that perspective, that safety concern of what happens if. And it doesn't take, uh, you know, for many events to happen. It can be the one event that happens across the ocean that now has everyone concerned about doing nuclear and, and how often nuclear. And, and so getting that mindset shift is, is just work that still has to be done. It's a great question. It's, it's clean energy. I always have to share this nuclear factoid when people bring up nuclear energy. In this country specifically, there's a long history of requiring nuclear power to be generated from nuclear power sources that could be used in a bomb. But there are nuclear materials such as thorium that have no capability of a meltdown, are much cleaner and safer than traditional types of nuclear energy than are currently being used, but there is legislation in this country that prevents their use in energy systems and grids for political reasons, military-related, um, because they want to use nuclear energy from plutonium or from uh, materials that could be used for a bomb if necessary. And that's where those dangerous incidences come from. But there are other options. That that's a legal issue, not a corporate issue. Like you can't change that as a corporation. You can pressure the government to do so, but the government needs to change. I, I appreciate that. I did not know that. So thank you for that insight. We, it sounds like we have more comments. <laughs> well, 
Oh, it's getting good, y'all. <laughs> well, they said that thorium is more abundant than uranium. It's more easy to extract in the earth. And it's, and it's a higher percentage of the other quote-unquote rare earth minerals. The other thing is using um, retrofitting nuclear power plants to generate green hydrogen. And another thing is, what are any other plans? Early in the 19th century, I think Ford and George Washington Carver had developed their vehicles to run on hemp oil. So the other question is, is there any research in terms of crops that has a short production cycle but high density yield as an alternative for petroleum-based um, oil? What other chemical processes has been researched in terms of producing non-fossil fuel types of gasoline, which, which, which means that the infrastructure exists already for, get, for, um, for gasoline stations. How do you retrofit that? Another thing is something called blue gas, which is like a, another form of, of hydrogen as a, as, as a fuel source. Yeah, so um, really great points and questions. Um, what I'll say is with our focus on um, carbon neutrality, uh, the solution that we've kind of settled on is electrification, and that's where all of our energy has been focused. Now we've had, you know, ethanol fuel vehicles um, with in increasing percentages, but again, to increase percentages across the majority of our fleet, there's some design changes that we would need to make. And so the focus right now is on electrification, um, not on the retrofitting of, of the existing uh, internal combustion vehicles. But uh, understand the point. Uh, my name is Johnny Bakari. I'm a graduate fellow with NOAA. Um, I used to work in a renewable energy lab. Um, and I'm curious as to um, both your opinions on uh, alternative methods of energy storage, uh, such as supercapacitors. So I, I think, um, so I don't have a lot of uh, background on that. I think uh, any ways that we can uh, uh, help with uh, charging infrastructure and supporting the grid as, as we make this transition to electrification um, is, is worthy of exploring. Uh, I don't have any more detail beyond that. Yeah, I, I know early in my career, I had some projects that were focused on using supercapacitors okay. and um, we, we decided to leverage uh, battery technology over supercapacitors, but definitely know that there's a lot of research in the space. Excellent, thank you, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. First, just to support what was said, like, okay, so I was in the hydrogen, I've been in biofuel business mm -hmm. and the hydrogen business. Biofuels, back then, I don't know what the status is now, but the physics wasn't there because biofuels are not dense mm -hmm. and they have to be densified, transported. Doesn't work generally. Mm -hmm. Corn, you know, ethanol sure kind of works. Yeah, ethanol. Uh, but uh, the excitement about uh, nuclear. And that was fascinating. So I wanted you to, I want to get, I can't, that's killing me. Uh, but there's other alternative forms of nuclear, right? Uh, Bill Gates funded a big traveling wave technology company that works on nuclear waste. I don't know if this, I don't know if that technology works. It's not my field, but I sure wish we would, that's a, a safe reactor that lives off of nuclear waste. So I just advocate for investment, but that's not what you're here. You're here about storage technology, so, right? 
That's mainly... Well, well, we're really here talking about the circular economy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, so we, we veered all the way into this particular... But your uh, point part, about part, those part outright. Outright. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but that, and that, that is a piece, right? That's right. a piece of the circular economy and leveraging bio um, in order to create fuel oh, and energy for yeah. use and later. And of course, me so. being late, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. So, yeah, I just saw a release by some company that's using, uh, claiming to use any kind of uh, used batteries, even the ones from other car companies and Tesla, to make these big energy packs. Energy? So that, that's really exciting. So that's part of it. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you think, if you are going to look, I mean, um, at the next battery technology. That's what I'd like to know because you hear about sodium ion uh, batteries along with lithium ion and and various form factors and things like that. Uh, have you? I don't know if you've already addressed this, but I'm wondering, like for example, uh, which is the better battery technology from circular economy point of view, recycling? You know, if you look at the system point of view, would one type of battery be better than the other? Mm. Yeah, so don't know uh, specifically, but what I will say, um, so in our discussions with, with Redwood, um, there's a belief we can get to close to 95% recovery uh, of when they recycle a battery. And so I think to the discussion around, you know, using batteries um, as for battery, for energy storage, et cetera, with the demands on uh, electrification, the volumes that we're trying to get to, I would anticipate, and definitely a focus uh, at Fort will be to recover uh, the batteries that we put out so that we can reuse those minerals in more batteries versus you know, setting up a, a second use of the batteries. The minerals are that critical and they're that rare. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the focus will be on recycling. Now, you know, which type of battery, you know, lithium ion phosphate versus, you know, other, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Um, we have teams that can tell you, I'm just not that team. So I'm, I'm not, I'm gonna stay in my lane. Um, but if you give me your card, I can ask some questions and get back to you. Yeah. And maybe there's someone in the audience that has done research in that space that might want to provide some feedback. Anyone? And we'll go with the making the connection through your resources. Yep. Okay, I'm really trying to stay on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> so I have uh, two uh, teenagers, and they're not interested in science technology. <laughs> Do you feel that the school system right now? is needing to change their teaching and educating it in, in coordination with science so that they, the kids are more interested or more motivated to get involved in that type of, type of field, which might actually help the environment if we have more interest. Like, like maybe, like for example, interested in your company. Like what do you think? No, that's a, it's, I think it's a really good point because what we do today is going to impact the students that are in classrooms today. And uh, there definitely has to be a consciousness uh, about what we teach and how we teach it. And sustainability is definitely uh, one of those areas. 
Now, my daughter is a high school teacher, and um, she teaches 11th and 12th graders uh, about innovation and about leveraging design thinking to think of things in a different perspective. Um, I think that's a start for her case, but from a science and technology perspective, um, I do believe that the curriculums should include some type of uh, thought as it pertains to sustainability. Um, I did mention earlier in my PhD program, uh, there were two portions to uh, one of our core courses and it was around concept to launch and then launch to sustainability. Uh, and we had to provide research on why uh, sustainability was so important and how uh, we can bring in uh, different techniques uh, and different research into how we design our own parts. So me as a leader of a company, it's going to be very important for me uh, to make sure that I am engaging my team to think about the sustainable elements, um, both from a business process perspective as well as a, pro a product perspective, um, being smart about how we leverage what we already have as opposed to recreating from uh, the raw minerals and raw materials that are um, out there today, really making it sustainable for generations to come. Yeah, and, and I can't really speak to curriculum, but I, I can, you know, just double down on the importance of um, building, you know, that, that feeder group. We're bringing these technologies to the U.S. We're going to build batteries, design batteries, build cells here in the U.S., building plants. And so we need scientists to do that research, help us put these things together um, and help grow this industry. And, you know, I'm, you know, being an engineer, you know, science has always been something enjoyable uh, to me is I, I think there's a lot of ways to get educated now. And whether it's, you know, through your school or, you know, through some separate program, the ability to touch and feel um, of, you know, vehicles and the technology can also spur some of that excitement, um, you know, you know, right now I get to touch and play with, you know, autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, and, you know, when we can bring them out and, you know, we'll have programs like, uh, you know, DAPSEP and, and uh, you know, Michigan, that's a, you know, D Detroit area pre-college engineering uh, program. You can, you know, show them the technology, let them touch and feel. That helps kind of grow that interest. So I think there's a lot of ways to, to grow the interest. Um, you know, get them focused in, in this area, and, and we definitely need it. So if, if what's work, what's in your school isn't working for you, I, th I think you got to explore some other avenues because there, there are programs out there. I just need a point of clarification. You said something about not being interested in solar. I just want to make sure that I understand the context of if you can go back in your mind. For, oh, and, and my point was uh, when we are your when we're electrifying our vehicles is, you know, we're not looking at, you know, that solar technology. Now, if there's a way that solar can supplement the energy that feeds our manufacturing plants, like, you know, we have a goal to have, you know, uh, net zero energy sources for our operations. And so if, if solar can feed into that, definitely that's an area of interest. Um, but in terms of, you know, powering our vehicles, um, you know, we don't have any applications that will leverage you know, solar technology. 
When do you think the lighting is going to be affordable for those of us who don't make that kind of money that makes it affordable today? Yeah, so um, I, I, I appreciate the question, and you know, I, I want a lightning myself. Um, yeah, this, this transition to electrification, a, a big concern is um, the price point on these vehicles. Um, the battery makes up a big piece of that, and that's why you hear so much of us talking about doing that research, growing energy density, um, so that we can, you know, look at bringing the price down. There's, you know, there's, you know, federal programs that provide purchasing incentives, but that, I mean, that's not sustainable. Um, we've got to put in that research to really bring the cost down, get it at parity with um, conventional vehicles, and that's something. The, the, yeah, the minerals and the batteries, I would say the battery is, is a big portion of the cost in an electric vehicle. All right. Well, with that, we have reached our time. I want to thank Andre Welch for uh, supporting uh, our, our little fireside chat here. And I want to thank everyone in the audience for being active participants. Uh, I think it's always great when we can get everyone in the, in the audience to participate, ask questions, provide their expertise and information, especially on a topic such as this one. Um, we, we have a long uh, line of education and knowledge uh, in various spaces, but it always helps to do this group, uh, group uh, knowledge uh, transfer and effort. So thank you, everyone, and hope you enjoy the rest of today's events.